Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and in this episode, I'll be speaking to my friend Jeff Baldwin. Jeff is a co-founder of Worldview Academy and the provost of Worldview at the Abbey. He's also the author of many books, including The Deadliest Monster, The Twelve Trademarks of Great Literature, and an ongoing series of study guides titled The Great Books. The reason Jeff is joining me in the studio, though, is because in the long time that I've known him, he has exemplified a terrifying and ultimately inspiring attitude to calling and risk. Long story short, he pursues whatever God calls him to without taking risk into account. Because Grace is a church where we understand work as a God-given means of discipleship, I wanted to draw Jeff out on this topic, which I think might help our listeners just as much as it's helped me. If you're trying to discern a sense of call, or if you're trying to figure out what it would look like to rearrange your life to pursue that call, this conversation might inspire you to take a risk. I've known you probably going on 20 years, and in that time you have not only been a teacher, but you've also written a number of books. You're co-founder of Worldview Academy, uh, which you've been doing since 1996, and you have also founded Worldview at the Abbey. You have developed endless reams of curriculum on literature, uh, four years worth of literature curriculum at least, which is now in the process of being published, which is adding more books to the shelf. And uh, in all of that time and doing all of that, you claim never to have had a J-O-B. <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I feel like I'm always in the harness, but uh, never any J-O-B. That's right. Um, no, I just think I haven't, uh, it hasn't been traditional in too many senses of the word. There was a four-year span when I was the humanities chair for uh, Providence Classical Christian School in Spring, Texas, um, which is where you and I met. Um, but I, I think the expectation would be, um, well, you you must have you know a, a, a bank of uh, uh, donors who are just sort of consistently bankrolling whatever it is you feel like doing. And uh, that that's not been the case. It's very much more been the case that uh, I've, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and then trust God to work out the finances. So um, I, I long ago realized that God intended for me to teach, and now I try to walk through whatever doors he opens, um, I've learned that listening to my wife is a good idea. Uh, you, you know, this story, Mark, but, um, I, Linda has for years been saying what we really need is a, a gap year program, uh, to follow up on our training students at worldview Academy leadership camps. And I'd been in the camp of fighting for a more traditional Christian classical school, format. And it took a lot of years for me to hear Linda and uh, hear from God and I, and, and do what we're doing now, which is this bridge year program at Worldview at the Abbey. I think one of the things 
that has always surprised me about you is how comfortable you are with like utter defiance of the conventional logic of how uh, work is supposed to work, how, you know, what you were saying before about, you know, the finances coming after, not before you, you jump out there. And I mean, I would say when I first met you, I was a pretty squared away conventional thinker on these matters and understood the way the world worked. And I remember your first kind of invitation to me to teach at Worldview Academy. And the pitch was something like, uh, you get to live in dormitories for all summer long. Some of them you'll share bathrooms. Some of them will be unair conditioned and we won't pay you. And I remember laughing and thinking that must be great for people without a life. And, uh, you know, good luck with that. Or just the independently wealthy, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and then, you know, somehow got pulled into it and and not only pulled into it, but over time and, and, you know, exposure to your way of thinking, um, comfortable with it. And, And that's kind of what I'm interested in talking about, because I would say that, um, when I think through my friends who have a providential view of things, you're at the top of the list. Um, I've seen you make a lot of decisions that didn't make sense on paper. I do things that, um, that, that other people, myself included would have counseled against. And I thought it'd be interesting to just talk about not just like why you would do that, but also like what confidence you can have in doing that. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, um, and I've thought about this a lot. I, I know that the way I'm wired is that I have a high tolerance for risk. And so I'm hardwired to appear to have this sort of profound faith. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, certainly all, all of this is dependent on being in the center of God's will, following Christ. Uh, you know, I read, I read Bonhoeffer when I was way too young, when I was 18, 19, didn't understand most of the cost of discipleship, but I understood uh, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And, and I understood that sort of radical uh, call that Bonhoeffer spins out of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so, um, you know, I think, I think part of it is starting at an early age, right? That um, when you're 20, 22, uh, life is wide open, you don't have a family with a lot of responsibilities, and you, you start to think, well, yeah, let's, let's just go for it. And then in the going for it, you find that Christ is there, and you continue to go for it. And uh, um, I, I will say this, I, I think this is absolutely crucial to what's happened in my life, I have a, a wife who's willing to risk as well. And I, I fully understand when you and I have this conversation, that it, that's not always the case, right? That, that there are uh, husbands with wives who um, need a lot of reassurance about uh, 401ks. I almost said 501k. That's how much I know about these <laughs> Very, things. Yeah, it would have been a revealing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 401ks or, or or health insurance or all all those things. And uh, um, Linda has very graciously 
decided to follow my lead. And, uh, and, and so um, I do think faith is absolutely central to everything that we're talking about, but I also don't want it to sound like faith is, is something that just oozes out of my every pore and, and that's why we do what we do and, and there's never been a problem. I, yeah. I think it's, it's a combination of things. Yeah. So I can imagine a lot of so parents of 20 to 22 year olds hearing you describe kind of this, this is the time of life to really get set in that pattern and, and being horrified at the thought that, <laughs> that their own children would, would adopt a similar uh, ethos because especially in our culture now, I mean, this is, this is the time of life when uh, we're focused on achievement, right? And it's, it's all about getting the right degree so you can get the right jobs, so you can make money and start building kind of this, this uh, security and, and advancing and that sort of thing. And I think what's, what's striking to me is you're talking about a path that almost doesn't intersect with that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I uh, um, and I think, I mean, you can remember being 20, 22. It's, it's, you feel a lot more like a world beater. You, you can bounce back, right? You, you, you know that you can come back from a lot of being knocked down. And I think we do the world a disservice when we uh, ask kids that age to play it safe because that's not what they're wired for, right? The, the, the people who are doing great things are oftentimes the ones who uh, take those big risks and swing for the fences and, and find that it works out and then swing for the fences again. So it's Jim Elliott and it's, it's Bonhoeffer. It's, um, you know, Jim Elliott saying that he's no fool who risks what he has not, what he does not have to, win what he cannot gain. That's not exactly right, but you get the idea. And uh, that's, that's the mystery is, uh, you know, we have that, that call to follow Christ. And it's not, that doesn't mean that there's a runway lit up for the next 20 years of your life. That means that you can see the next step ahead of you. And then you take that step and then you can see the next step ahead of you. And it's not a surprise to find Christ faithful. Maybe what we're describing is just, you know, a 20-year-old who took Christ seriously and said, okay, he says it's all going to be, not everything is going to be okay, but that he will provide, you know, that he clothes the lilies and feeds the sparrows and that you can take him at his word, that as you do that, then the next step gets a little easier and the next step gets a little easier after that. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is what I would think of as, as like having a, you know, trust in God's providence and what's not maybe a component of what you're describing is the thing we do so often, which is to trust in God's providence, but also like hedge your bets. Right. You know, and I, I think if I were trying to put my finger on the part of your philosophy that strays farthest from conventional wisdom on this, it, it would probably be that, that sense of you need to hedge your bets, you need to do everything that people expect of you, and then if you've done those things, out of that surplus, you can take risk. Right. 
<laughs> I keep thinking about Alex Hunold, free climbing, El Cap, just because we're talking the language of risk, mm-hmm. right? And sort of when you talk about free solo climbing, you're talking about a guy climbing without ropes and without gear. It looks incredibly foolhardy and uh, it it may very well be, but there are also five, seven climbs that this guy could do in his sleep. He could do in a downpour and, and not have any chance of, of falling. And so the hedging there, which may seem to be an obvious need, it's not necessary on that five, seven pitch for a guy that can climb like he can. If God is who he says he is, then the hedging isn't necessary for us either. I, kn- I know there's that call to be wise as serpents and, and innocent as doves. And I think that does especially play out with human relationships, just the, the way that we, the, the people that we trust and the decisions that we make in, in that regard. I, I do think it applies more to wisdom about human interactions and less to having a substantial retirement fund. It's not about a security blanket. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, no, that's, that's actually a good point. I mean, in the same passage where Jesus tells his disciples as he's sending them out that they should be as wise as serpents, he's also saying, you know, don't, don't take gold and silver. You know, it's like essentially sending them out without all of the creature comforts and, and they're, they're meant to trust. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, right. I, I think that that's, I'm 52 years old and, uh, that's, I think that's why God has the Israelites build altars a lot of times that they can look back at particular places in their land and be reminded about the times that God interceded and, and fought for them and, and, as an older person now, I mean, the, the thing I don't have that when I was 20 was I, I, I don't have the lesser responsibilities or the uh, ability to bounce back as quickly. But the thing I do have is all those markers from my life where God has been faithful. And uh, I, I can look back on those and, and say, yeah, this is, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I know what the next step is again. And wouldn't it be foolish to stop taking these chances now when I've got this life history of him being faithful? Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about a a person, maybe a young person, not necessarily who's, who's trying to discern that calling, not necessarily uh, discern a calling to ministry, but, but work as a calling, you know, looking for the work that, uh, God is calling them to the way that, that they would serve. If the kind of questions that they should be asking are not the usual ones, so what are the right questions? In large part, and you, you preach this, I'm sure you've, you've said this many times on this podcast, but uh, there should be questions about excellence, right? God equips us as Christians, yes, to be salt and light wherever he takes us, and and then a part of that being salt and light is, is reflecting uh, a commitment to do well and to the best of our ability, right? We've got Colossians 3.23, the call to do everything is unto the Lord. You know, I have a daughter who's a nurse, and uh, she kind of just always knew that she was supposed to be a nurse. So her questions are less, uh, what, 
what's my vocation, but how do I approach my vocation? And a lot of those questions need to be about how do I excel? How do I represent Christ well to my coworkers, to the people I serve every day? Um, I think those are central. For, for a student who's still not sure about what God wants from him, I think a lot of the questions revolve around uh, what, <laughs> what is going to stretch you and uh, make you less comfortable. So it's this, it's this tightrope, right? It's this, uh, well, I'm most comfortable doing things I'm very good at, and I'm more likely to excel there. But then God has this expectation to grow us and to change us. We're not who we're supposed to be yet. We are justified, but not wholly sanctified. We don't get to just do what makes us feel good about ourselves until the second coming. So there's a difference in your mind between um, like finding your calling and following your dream. Right, definitely. Yeah, my, my dream was never to teach. My dream was to write. God very vividly got a hold of me and, and just said, I'm strong where you're weak, and it doesn't matter what your perceived strengths are or your perceived weaknesses. You just need to, to do what I want you to do. And, and that's, it's comforting in this sense because as soon as you're completely out of your comfort zone and following that calling, then you know it's not something you made up. It's not something you were hoping for. This is, this is where you're supposed to be. It's tricky though, right? I mean, following your dream is not automatically something that I would throw out. I, I just think our dreams can be centered around what we perceive ourselves to be good at. And sometimes God wants to use us in places where we don't feel any sort of competency. Mm-hmm. What about people, we've been thinking a lot about maybe you're at the beginning of the journey, you're trying to figure this out for the first time. There are a lot of people who have been following a pretty conventional path in the way that they think about work. And they start asking questions about how their faith connects to their work. And I think one of the the natural consequences is to ask yourself, am I doing the right thing? Should I change what I'm doing? Um, and I think that's a different kind of crisis than, yeah. you know, young person starting out making these decisions for the first time. What would you say to someone who's kind of in that situation where they're concerned, maybe they didn't make the best choices or, or they made those choices for the wrong reasons. They'd like to better understand work as a calling, rely more on God's providence. But, but the question is, do I just quit everything that I'm doing and go sure. off on some vision quest or, or what do I do? <laughs> right. right. Uh, we've been dancing around this and I, I should have said it a long time ago, but the thing that really was the starting place for me was that I started to ask God to use me tirelessly. That when I was probably about 21, 22 years old, I just started praying that consistently. And uh, the scary thing is that God hears that and, and answers that, right? That's exactly what he, I think, I think it's exactly what he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear creatures who have trusted Christ, who trust him as father and, and want to please him and uh, are asking sincerely, what, 
what's that thing? What am I supposed to do? So um, I, I guess what I'm saying specifically to, to people in the scenario you you brought up, it's just that God will open those doors, right? That if, if you are sincerely asking him to use you tirelessly, then there's going to be something either within the vocation you're in right now or, or a brand new door opening up for you. And maybe initially it's just, you know, six hours a week, you're doing something that is stretching you and, and you know, is, is a part of God's plan and, and it doesn't pay anything. And here you are, but, but at least uh, it's a door you've walked through trusting that God wants to, to use you. And, and then two, there's jobs that are very rewarding on their own, and there's jobs that are not. And, and jobs that are not are oftentimes the deepest kind of service, right? We, we know Luke 22, 26 through 27, that we're called to be servants. I admit working in the DMV doesn't sound like something that would be very rewarding day after day, year after year, but serving people, something that is necessary and, and helping them is a Christ-like thing to do. I think sometimes we have that existential crisis in our vocation just because our vocation looks a lot like serving, and serving is a wonderful, spectacular thing. I shouldn't have said the DMV. I should have said a plumber. Right? You get your license revoked, probably. Right. Yeah. Not that that would stop you, but um, <laughs> I, I do think no. You're touching on a good point, which is that there's certain kinds of work that are romanticized and others that are not. Sure. Uh, some that there's no glamour attached to. Uh, no one looks up to that kind of work, and as a result, if you find yourself in one of those positions, I think there is sometimes pressure to, to find something else, whether you're content or not in, in the work that, that you've been called to do. And so obviously there's a dignity in labor, you know, there's a dignity in work, good work done well, regardless of what it is. And that's something worth recovering. You know, sometimes you have to fight back or push back against the pressure to, to be drawn into the more glamorous path. Right. There's another kind of pressure, I think, that that maybe we ought to address at the close here, which is, it can be easy to, to hear this and think that you're saying, if you stop worrying about conventional wisdom, and you just trust in God, and you step out in faith, you will receive confirmation because things will work out, and all the doors will open, yeah. and, and you'll know that, that that's good. And then people rush into something, with that understanding and then find out things don't work out or there are trials or starts looking like it's worse, not better. And I think that's where that, that sense of God's providence becomes important, not just as a, like I can have confidence in him and this allows me to take risk, but also that that confidence gives me something to hold on to when the risks don't work out or when, you know, they don't seem to be working out. Right. Yeah. I think that's well said. I I mean, I don't have a a lot to add to that other than, right. The clear biblical teaching that we're called to be 
content in wealth and and content content in need as well, right? That that uh, that definitely speaks to material things, but I think it speaks big picture to the to our whole situation mm-hmm. and. Yeah, being faithful doesn't. It's no assurance of uh, success or or wealth or fame. But this sounds trite to say it, but it it is its own reward in in the sense of drawing closer to the Father. That mm-hmm. that you can understand His heart better and have a deeper relationship with Him, even in those difficult times. So I think one of those areas where. I could certainly see the most difference between the way I used to view things and the way you view them is I think we agree on the emphasis on excellence, you know, that, that work should be done well. And there's, there's just something to that. What, what you add to that equation, which I've come to appreciate over time is the importance of character. I think, you know, we've had conversations before where I could be focused purely on is this excellence and operate as if character is is a question to be put off the side character is all good and well but if it's not excellent work then sure whatever and i think i think you've been much better at keeping those things together and 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 i would say maybe the particular slice of character that shows in these situations is what we might call like endurance oh that there's right. a, a an aspect of character that shows endurance in in trials rather than you know surrender right. know, rather than uh, giving up. And, and I think that's something that, that, um, I mean, you certainly helped me value more the, the importance of that. Thank you. And I, I don't know, I, I think maybe just naturally I was drawn to stories like the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the story of William Wilberforce, men who, who did encounter a lot of opposition and a lot of setbacks and who did suffer for what they believed in as you already said, there's there's a nobility in that. There's there's something that is difficult to put into words, but astonishing. I think it resonates with everyone. I don't I don't think this is a Christian thing. I think uh, a non-Christian can look at a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, maybe think he's a fool for allowing himself to be martyred at age 37, but but also respect him for having the courage of his convictions and uh, being willing to endure. I want to thank Jeff for sitting down with me to share his thoughts with us for the commentary. These are all topics we've chewed over many times, and it's been a real pleasure to do it with our audience listening in. So thank you, too, for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.